so I got really inspired today, as you can see, um, and decided to make you all a little presentation for Hanukkah because I think we do Hanukkah every year and it's something that we grew up with. Hi, I'm Hannah, by the way. I feel like I'm like in a little trap zone. Okay, I'm just going to move. <laughs> okay. My manager said this has to like happen like this, so you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. One second, is it working? Sorry, one second. Okay. No. Sorry. Okay. Okay. So we do Hanukkah every single year. We've done it since we were little, but yet I feel like sometimes it gets lost in translation. We have like the stories of when we were really young. We don't understand the magnitude of what happened. We don't understand like the significance of it historically. We don't understand the significance of it spiritually. And I think in 2023, it's a really important time to go back and be like, what is this story? So welcome to Hanukkah Revisited 2023 edition. Thank you for being a part of this. Okay, so we're going to go back and do a little bit of like historical stuff. I don't know if this is what you signed up for, but here you are. Um, and go back to Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was, he was originally from Macedonia, but he's really, he, we always say the word Hellenism, how essentially the Hanukkah story is all about the struggle for Hellenism. But what was Hellenism? So Alexander the Great really was the one who was able to spread Greek culture all across the world at the time. He only lived for a very short time, but in the short time that he lived his life, he was actually able to conquer much of the living world. And when he came to Judea, when he came to Israel at the time, something very unique happened. What happened was... For the first time, there was, a, there was a king that came to conquer Judea, a general that came to conquer Judea, but didn't actually destroy the base Hamikdash. And a very beautiful story that is actually in Yaima, that in 331, Alexander the Great comes to Judea. And in the north, there were the Samaritans, which were basically people that were pulled there by the Assyrian king when he like switched the 10 tribes he had to like bring new people in so he brought in the Kuthians in the north and the Kuthians hated the Jews in the south and they decided that he was going to try get Alexander the Great to conquer them but the Jewish people had a different plan Shimon Hatzadik one of the last people that sat on the general assembly he came in, he goes, he hears Alexander the Great is coming to the gates of Jerusalem with his entire army. And Shimon Atzadik goes with the clothes of the Kain Gadal and he goes to the gates and he goes to meet Alexander the Great. And when Alexander the Great sees him, he all of a sudden trembles and he bowed before him. And Shimon Atzadik said to him, such an important king such as you bow to this Jew. The people that came with him were like, you're bowing to this Jew. You came to conquer them. Why are you bowing to them? And Alexander the Great said, every night I have a dream. I have a dream that this man, I want to find it for you. He said to them, sorry, let me find it for you. Um, what did he do? Da, da, da. That night, these represent, did I do it on the wrong day? Oh, it's sorry, it's this and then that. Okay. 
who are these people coming to you? And he bowed to them. And he said, such a, I do because the image of this man's face is victorious before me on my battlefield. When I fight, I see his image going before me as a sign of victory. And therefore, I know he has supreme sanctity. Basically, what the Gemara is saying, that Shimon HaTzadik's face followed Alexander the Great every time he went anywhere in order to bring him all the success that he had. So when Alexander the Great came, instead of conquering and destroying the Jewish nation, what did he do? He left the kingdom of Judea and he said, I'm not going to destroy it. However, and that is why there's a lot of people in the Jewish world that their names are Alexander. Jewish people owed a lot to him. They named, they named like what, all the buildings after him, Alexander, because Alexander the Great saved them. He spared them. He didn't destroy the base of Mikdash. If you think about it, they're a little bit living in trauma. They just had come back. They'd just been living under the Persian rule. They'd been going, the, Alexander the Great took over the Persians and the Persians took over the Babylonians. And that's how Alexander the Great and he destroyed many people. Many, many, he destroyed the entire Persian civilization, the entire great Persian empire. So they had what to fear. Okay, so after he dies, he doesn't have an heir. Alexander the Great doesn't have an heir. Actually, his wife was six months pregnant, but she was, the, the kid was too young to actually take over the area. So what happens? Alexander the Great dies, and his nation is split into four. But the two people that we're going to talk about more predominantly is the dynasty of the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. So when we're little, we always hear the story about the, Syri the Greeks. The Greeks come into the base Hamikdash, and the Greeks are the ones that are destroying the base Hamikdash. Who are the Greeks? Because at the end of the day, right now, Hellenism has spread. This is how great Alexander's, Alexander the Great's kingdom that he left was. So when we say the, Syri the Greeks, who were the Greeks? The truth is, there was many wars that go on to basically try to conquer Judea between Alexander the Great's two primary generals. One is Seleucid and one is Ptolemy, okay? General Ptolemy is actually known as being one of, um, King Ptolemy is actually one of a very famous dynasties. Anyone ever heard of like a really important um, princess from the Ptolemaic dynasty, queen? Cleopatra, right? Cleopatra is from the Ptolemaic dynasty. She was 100% Greek because the Ptolemies were incestuous. They only married siblings. They only married each other. So she was actually of Greek descent, even though the Ptolemaic Empire had already been, um, had already been for hundreds of years, had already been ruling in, in the land, in Egypt. And the Seleucids, their base is Syria. So when we say Syria, Syrian Greeks, we're saying that they were living in Syria, but they were Greek. Greek was their culture. Okay, so there's a bunch of wars that go on between Ptolemy and Seleucid, and they're fighting over this little portion of land, Judea. They both want Israel, because at the time, we have to understand that Israel still has those, still has that um, reputation, like King Solomon, even though it's like a thousand years earlier by now, no, like 500 years earlier, no, 500, 600, 800 years earlier, they're still at that time, like, remembering the great Jerusalem. Jerusalem is something that's still on their mind. So they're basically fighting over this little piece of land. If you know what's going on, everyone's always fighting over this tiny piece of land. Okay. And, the, and at that time, the Egyptian and Greeks rule for a 50-year period. And in that time, something really important happens. The Torah is translated into Greek. 
Okay. King Ptolemy forces 72 hachamim. He puts them in 72 rooms. And what he does is he basically forces them to, cha- to translate the Torah into Greek. It's a very monumental, important thing that happens in Jewish history. When we're little, we always think like, oh, nowadays we're so not religious. But like back in the day, everyone was so religious. It's not true. In the times of the second base Amigdash, it was really bad. Actually, the Jewish people were in a really bad state. Hellenism was really strong. Greek culture was really enticing. And when the, when the Torah is translated into Greek, all of a sudden, think about like the way we engage with English. Okay, but Greek culture was like the, the coolest thing ever. If you read about like all the great, the 12 Olympic gods and Zeus and Apollo, and this was something that was very enticing, very exciting. And majority of the Jews that living in Judea were really into it and really, really liked it. When we speak about like the war that was going on during the Hanukkah story, it was a civil war. It was a war between Jews and Jews, Hellenized Jews and Jews like the Maccabim who were like, no, we're not going to assimilate. Like, what are you all doing? You guys are crazy. And in a very deep way, I think the Hanukkah story is a very much parallel to 2023. 2023, we live in America. What is America? America is founded on Hellenist culture, on Roman culture, founded on Greek culture. What is Hellenism? So we're going to actually dive into it in a minute. Okay, so this was something really, really significant. And it actually allowed for Hellenist culture to seep into Jewish culture and Jewish identity. When the Torah was translated into Greek, it was like a new era in that sense, that Greek culture seeped into the Torah itself. And think about the way we engage with Torah. We engage with it in English. Not that it's a negative thing, but in a way, the purity of it, has, it's, it's very different in that sense. Toba, sit on a chair. Toba, sit on a chair. Okay. Okay, so what is Hellenism? Hellenism is a historical spread of ancient Greek culture, religion, and language, okay? Hellenism was the most exciting, coolest thing you could possibly be into. It's like the celebrity culture of 2023, okay? It's really founded on that. If you think about, like, the Oscars, what do they give everybody that wins, they give around a little Greek god, okay? Like, all the Olympics, it's so celebrated, the body. And what were Greek gods? Has anyone ever learned, like, read Percy Jackson or learned any Greek mythology? We're learning about people that were... The, the way that Yiddishkeit thinks about God, Lahavdil, the way Greeks think about... Hellenism thinks about God, is God is super... They, the, the gods had affairs with each other. They were angry at each other, this one and that one. And if you ever read Helen of Troy or Homer or the Iliad, you're reading about these superhuman people that are, that are strong and have six packs. And like they go to the gym and gymnasiums were really invented by the Greeks. And it became to a point that it was so, it was so, it was so exciting, and Judea was the whole the whole city country of Israel was obsessed with Greek culture. People were changing their names very often, like Yeshua became Jason or Yashka or Yehanan um, became Horkanos, and everyone started really changing their names to be steeped in Greek culture. If you read any history about Bayashani, you see that the, even the names are very Hellenistic. 
um, it came to a point with the Beis HaMikdash that the gymnasium was more popular and more exciting and more, everyone was more into going to the gymnasium, which was the heart of Jude, of, 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 of the culture in Israel. It was like considered the temple and everyone was like negating the Beis HaMikdash. If you think about it, the, the first Beis HaMikdash the first base Hamidrash in the Second Temple period, before Herod renov- before Herod renovated, was actually not so beautiful. They didn't have a lot of money. They were coming back after the per- after everything that happened, the Purim story after being after being kicked out of their country. They didn't have a lot of money, and the first the Second base Hamidrash, the first of the there's two. Herod came and renovated it, but the first of the Second base Hamidrash wasn't so beautiful, wasn't so enticing, and many people were very excited by Hellenist culture. There's a lot to read about Hellenist Jews. Like, it was a thing, Jews that were Hellenized. Um, I don't think it's so different. Like, we love to fit in as Jews. It's not like we don't. It's not, it's, it's, it's like, if you think about Jews that lived in Berlin and Jews that, sorry, you're in charge of the door. Jews that lived in Berlin, Jews that, G- G- German Jews, like the first democracy in Germany after the Prussians fell was the Weimar Republic. The Weimar Republic was run by Jews, okay? during the Great Depression after World War I. Jews, if you think about America, think about Jared Kushner, just like giving examples, like think about really important Jewish leaders, like we are part of American society. It's not like we're not part of American society. And we, 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 we have this power and this ability to actually like make a difference in this world. But so often as Jewish people, like our Jewish identity is often like, you know, on the sidelines. We don't actually recognize our Jewish power. And even in this time, Jewish Hellenism was considered very unique, very cool, very prestigious, very exciting. And they very, they very much mingled with, um, with the Hellenist culture. They really enjoyed it and appreciated it. Okay. This is all under, okay, so there's a war, sorry, I skipped out, but there was a war after, the Ptole, after King Ptolemy, and the Ptolemaic king is overthrown by the Seleucid king, Antiochus III. Antiochus III gives a lot of freedom to the Jewish people. They love it. They're so enticed by it. They're so excited by it. And, in, and only when he dies, and the, the interesting thing is, anti-Semitism under Antiochus III was different. I always believe that. Anti-Semitism is like a germ. It mutates, okay? It's the same thing. It's just a little different. Like, there were times in Jewish history where they said, kill the Jews. Jews should die, okay? Like, the Nuremberg racial laws of 1935, and like the, like, which led to the Holocaust. Like, Jews are a germ. We need to kill them. We need to burn them. They're so, like, they're, they're a cancer, literally, okay? Then there are other times in Jewish history, like, under communism, they said, okay, you can be Jewish, but don't do anything Jewish. No Judaism. Don't do anything Jewish. Doing Jewish is bad. Doing Jewish is wrong. You're not allowed to do Jewish. They took away our Judaism from us. But Hellenist, and under Hellenism, it was different. It was like, you can be Jewish, but you have to be culturally Jewish. If you think about how weird we are as Jewish people, we're weird. And I get why people think we're weird, okay? Like, if you go to the mikvah, going to the mikvah, doesn't make you clean. Purity and cleanliness. What is purity? Purity is a spiritual thing. And like people cover, when you get married, there's like spiritual clip eyes on like your hair. And then you cover it with really nice hair that literally looks nicer than your hair. Like it's not rational. It doesn't make sense. Like you eat a piece of milk, you wait six hours before you put meat in your mouth. It sounds crazy. Like what other thing in the world is like 
no one's gonna know that you ate that piece of chicken and then chicken because it's a bird and like you're like I'm like I was like sitting in a halakha class today I was like we're nuts like if the oven is hot if it's been yaimai if it's been one day if it's been two days and then if it's parv and then the pot and then the heat and the cold I'm like it's so much anxiety and like like it doesn't even like it's like, it's just craziness. Like most people just take their food and put it in the oven. They don't think like, is it a milk oven? Is it a meat oven? Is it a milk knife? Is it a, like, is there's all this, like, there's so much going on in Judaism and it doesn't sound rational. It's not rational. The truth is Jewish people were not rational. There's nothing rational about being Jewish. The fact that they hate us so irrationally is even proof that like there is something so completely irrational about being Jewish because we live on that plane. We don't live on rational land doesn't make sense. We always pick up. We don't, we don't feel sorry for ourselves. We always pick up. We move on. We move forward. We rebuild. We, we, our whole story doesn't make sense. We're 0.2% of the population, but yet we've still been here. We're still here, and we keep on falling, and we keep on coming up, and we always rise again, and we're still here for 4,000 years. Like, it's crazy. Our whole story isn't rational. Our whole experience isn't rational. And so, so too, over here, they couldn't understand, and the Greeks were like, they, they, they created rationale. Aristotle, Plato, philosophy, thinking rationally about the world, thinking about the star signs and astrology. Like they were the foundation of like modern Western thinking. So they look at Jews like you guys are crazy. Like do Judaism, but be cultural about it. Be cultural like we're cultural. Like paganism was cultural. They didn't think their gods were really so great. They just like, it was part of the parties and it was excitement. There was the, the, the fun God and the party God and the God of love. And like, it's just a whole party with the gods. And like, it, it wasn't like, it didn't have meaning. And that's eventually how in the 400s, how Christianity really overtook it because Christianity had meaning. And paganism didn't because paganism wasn't meaningful. It was just fun and exciting and rational. So they don't understand, like, go to the gym, go have a good body. Like, things, spiritual things, spiritual things don't exist. Eventually, Antiochus dies and his son in 175 BC, Antiochus IV, takes over. And Antiochus IV is just done with, like, religious Jews. He's like, why don't we just all join and be Hellenists? So fun to be Hellenists, so much more exciting. And he can't stand the religious Jews. He can't handle them. And slowly but surely, the rules start getting stricter. One by one, the Beis Hamikdash. They start putting an idol in the Beis Hamikdash. They start. Um, they start force. They start enforcing things. No brismilla. Anything that's not rational. And Alanism we say we say They want. They didn't want us to have the idea of chayk, the idea of super rational, the idea that there's something transcendent about the Jewish people. They were like, stop being obsessed with this. Like, do things that make sense and don't do things that don't make sense. And they started cutting out things that don't make sense. Kosher X, like Shabbos, like what are you doing? Like, there's this day that's like spiritual, like Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like Saturday. Like, what makes one day better than the other day? What makes it holy and special? They started cutting out things that didn't make sense to them. And so, the, sorry. And so, there is one thing that happens, and another thing that he does is he basically takes away the Kayan Gadzal and he reinstates the Kayan Gadzal as Menelaus. Menelaus was a, a Hellenized Jew, and Menelaus is now the head of the, the Kayan Gadzal, literally the high priest. So, if you think about what's going on in the base Hamidash with this guy who is obsessed with like this new modern Judaism, this reformed Judaism, and he is the one really at the head of this movement. Okay, 
there's one event that happens that really like, there's a few events that happen that really break the camel's back. One is when Antiochus IV, basically, who's obsessed with pig, he tries to force the Jewish people to eat pig. He has this obsession. Oh, sorry. Because he's probably obsessed with pig, I think, because like, Firstly, it's not rational. Why can't you eat pig? Like, who cares? Like, why does it matter? So he tries to force Eliezer, who was a really great sage at the time, to eat pig. And he tortures him and basically kills him. This is all recorded in these two books of Maccabees that were actually written much later. But this, I, this story is recorded that Eliezer was basically tortured to death and he was killed. Another event that happens is when Matasyahu who was the Kayin Gadol, and his five sons run away to Hashmanayim. They run away to Hashmanayim, to Modiin. They run away to Modiin at that time because they're escaping Jerusalem because it's getting really, really bad. And at the time, all the people, uh, all, of, um, all of the Seleucid kings, um, soldiers, come in and basically force the Jews at the time to eat pig. They're obsessed with the Jews eating pig. There's a lot of stories about trying to force the Jews to eat pig. And what happens? Yehuda, Maccabee, and his brothers kill the soldiers. And that's the first act. There's another other story that, like, Matasiel stabs a soldier in a marketplace. But these two events that happen is the start of zealotry. It's the start of, this is 167 BCE, of a three-year war of this tiny group of Jews who are not the popular opinion. They're not cool. They're ultra-religious. They sound crazy. Everyone else is modern and cool and fit and hot. And they are these people that are saying, I stand for Jewish Judaism. Jewish is not a culture. I really, I was thinking about it today a lot. Judaism is not a culture. We're not cultural. What is cultural about Judaism? Like gefilte fish, if you go to Russia, they eat gefilte fish there. It's not a Jewish thing. They ate gefilte fish in Russia, so we eat gefilte fish. Like if you lived in the Middle East, you ate shawarma. Shawarma is not Jewish. Shawarma is Middle Eastern. We don't actually have culture. There's nothing cultural about Judaism. The reason why Hanukkah has turned into a cultural symbol, ironically, because it really doesn't stand for anything culture, cultural. The whole point of a holiday is to counteract culture because it's like during Christmas and everyone's like, hey, Hanukkah's at the same time, it like aligns with each other. It doesn't. Judaism is not, it, it, it's not, it's not cultural. Like, do we have distinct Jewish culture? I don't know. If anyone thinks differently, I would like to hear. I don't know if we do, because I think that so much of our Jewish culture was based on things in the diaspora. Is a bagel cultural? I don't think so. Like, no, I'm just thinking, like, do we have it? Like, it's... Ha- Is it cultural? Maybe. Maybe. If it, it, it's... It's like religious. Is it cultural? Is it like, what is culture? Like, I don't know. Maybe we have like, I don't know. Maybe. It could be like, klezmer music is, it's not, it's Eastern European style music. It's not Jewish. Like even Nagunim is Eastern European sounding. Is it cultural? Like, is it? Maybe. I don't know. Like, if you go to a Safari show, they're like, nah, 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 nah. like, there was a Middle Eastern. Is that Jewish culture? Maybe it's evolved. I don't know. What is culture? Okay. We can think about that another time. Okay. Sorry, I'm almost done. Okay. Okay. So, 
In that time, the Jewish people rise up and they basically say, we're going to fight for this. We are going to this small group head by Yehuda the Maccabee and his four brothers. And his father dies during the war and Yehuda actually dies towards the end of the war. So Shimon really takes over at the end of the war and then it all becomes really corrupt after that, which is not very exciting. But eventually what happens is for three years, they basically fight against the, this huge army of, I always thought they were so little, but they're not just fighting the Seleucids, who is a huge empire. Like, they're fighting against a huge empire that is like a derivative of Alexander the Great, and they're trying to create autonomy. Jews haven't had autonomy since 586 BCE. For 400 years, we've, Jews didn't have autonomy. They were kicked out of their land. They were, they were exiled. For 400 years, Jews didn't have, they weren't, they weren't um, sovereign over Israel. This is the first and last time that Jews will be sovereign since, since till 1948. So like CE, like that's how long, this is the only really period of time that Jews actually fight for them. They, they don't want to be ruled by Persians, by Ptolemies or Seleucids or Persians or Babylonians. They want to rule over themselves. And at this point, this little army, this little group of Jews, and comparatively were so different. And they were, they were radical. And not only were they radical, they were fighting an ideology. They weren't just fighting people. They weren't just fighting a mighty army. They were fighting a whole theology. They were actually saying, we want to stand up for our Jewish identity. Like, that what is so powerful about the Hanukkah story. Because the Hanukkah story is fighting for actually being properly Jewish. To be properly connected to the mitzvahs that we do. It's, it's such a, like, I always think Yutes Kislev and Hanukkah is really the same holiday. It's in the same week. But it's really the same thing. What is Hasidus? Everyone gets so stuck on, like, mitzvahs maisius, maisahua ikar. We have to do the mitzvah. But, like, we forget that the Altarebbe in the Lamids, in, um, in the Prakim in the Lamids, the, the Altarebbe speaks about kavana of mitzvahs. And mitzvahs have to come with a passion. And mitzvahs have to have a life force to them. And if you don't have excitement to your mitzvah, it's like a body without a, it's like a, body without a soul. It's like a bird without wings. Like, having connection, being inspired, and doing mitzvahs with the intention that you're connecting to Hashem, connection that you connect to something highly and godly, is a really important Jewish idea. And it's a really important Hasidic idea. And that's what, this, that's what they were fighting for. They said, we don't just keep, we don't just light manar, we don't just give brisk, we don't give a brisk for medical reasons. We don't keep kosher because it's healthy. We don't keep Shabbos because it's just a nice day off our phone. We don't just keep because these things aren't even true, if you think about it. You can be keeping Shabbos in the middle of nowhere, and you can have a really bad Shabbos. We don't just do things like, because eating kosher it does not mean eating healthy. You can eat really unhealthy and be kosher. You can, we, keep, we keep Judaism because we're connecting to Hashem. We're trying to connect something higher than, we're trying to be transcendent. We're trying to actually embrace our super rational, actually tap into something that's higher than ourselves in order for us to change the world and do amazing, crazy things because we're above the natural order of the world because we act in a way, we connect, we do things that don't make sense. And that's why we're so successful as Jewish people because we're not connected to the rational. And thus, the Jewish people win the war. And they actually succeed for not a very long time until the Romans come in, but not for such a long time, but they're able to have that sense of um, 
some sort of autonomy in the region under the under the um, Hasmonean dynasty, which actually ends up being really, really corrupt, which is not so great, until the Romans come in and basically destroy the second Bismarck. Um, I just want to say one last thing is that what is the miracle of Hanukkah? So we all know that we celebrate Hanukkah. It's the, it's the last Jewish holiday, but there is really one mitzvah of Hanukkah. There's no food. There's no mitzvah of food for Hanukkah. There's no mitzvah to have a soda. It's the only Jewish holiday without a mitzvah of soda. There's one mitzvah of Hanukkah, and that mitzvah is lighting the menorah. That's the mitzvah of Hanukkah. So, but really, if you think about the miracle of Hanukkah, there's two miracles of Hanukkah. What are the two miracles of Hanukkah? The winning the battle and lighting the menorah. But if you go to the Talmud Bavli and you see one of those only two really famous biblical sources, I mean Talmudic sources that speak about what is Hanukkah, the Gemara doesn't actually mention the war. When we get it on Shabbos 21b, they ask a question, Mahi Hanukkah, what's the holiday? What's the holiday of Hanukkah? And all they say that the miracle of Hanukkah was that on the 25th day of Kislev, the Jews, the days of Hanukkah ate, one may not eulogize them. Why? When the Greeks entered the sanctuary, they defiled all the oil that was in the sanctuary by touching them. And with a Hashmanaim monarchy overcame them, merged victorious over them, they searched and found only one cruise of oil that was placed with the seal of the high priest. There was only sufficient oil to light the candelabra for only one day. A miracle occurred and they lit the candelabra from its eight days. The next year, the sages instructed these days and made them holidays with the recitation of halal and special thanksgiving and prayer and blessing. So it was to say halal. That's another thing we do on Hanukkah, okay? But if you think about it, there is no mention of the war, zero mention of the war. The only place that we mention the war is in Alanism. In Alanism, we actually mention the war. And we say that they actually they won, like the small ones in hands of the big ones, they were actually able to take over. Why is that? And the reason that is, is because in Judaism, there is the spiritual idea of the victory and the physical dimension of the victory. The physical victory was winning the war, but the spiritual victory, you may ask, you may, is actually, in a sense, much, much, much more important. This was not a fight against killing Jews, and this was not a fight against Torah mitzvahs. This form of anti-Semitism was actually a fight against Jewish spirit, Jewish soul, Jewish excitement. And that's what they were trying to strip away from us. They didn't want us to be Jewish with a brand, with a happiness, with a connection to Hashem. They said, just do it as a cultural phenomenon. Why are you so excited about it? We're not spiritual, we're just physical people. But the truth is, it's not true. If we were just physical people, Everyone in the world wouldn't be looking for love, and everyone in the world wouldn't be looking for meaning. Love and meaning is not physical. We're not just physical people. There's a spiritual part inside of us. We want to connect. We want to love. We want to feel value. We want to feel meaning. We want to, we want to find truth. And that's not physical. We're not physical people. When we light the candles of Hanukkah, we're actually standing up and we're saying as Jewish people, we live for something high. We live for Hashem. We live for connection. We're not just obsessed with the superficiality of the world. It's not just about cultural, rational. There's something higher. And that's the miracle of Hanukkah. The miracle of Hanukkah is not celebrating the physical war of the body, but the spiritual victory of the Menorah. So... This Hanukkah, and that's why every single seal, there was tons of oil in the base of Mikdash. They just literally ripped off the seals of the kind Godzilla and said, you know what? We, the Jewish people said, no. 
There's oil. There was tons of oil. It wasn't just one jug of oil. Everyone changes the story. There's a lot of oil. There was only one oil that didn't that had the OU sign. What do you mean? The two Pringles boxes look exactly the same. One says OU and one doesn't say OU. But that's us Jewish people. It doesn't make sense. The Jewish people said we're only going to use it with the seal of the kind Gaza because Judaism is super rational. And there is a light and an excitement and we're going to celebrate that. And that's the miracle Hashem gave them. Hashem rewarded them and showed them that their excitement and that super rational nature of connecting to Hashem is the way we're meant to be tar- doing Torah mitzvahs. So wishing us all a happy Hanukkah. That's a bunch of sources. Wishing us all a very, very happy Hanukkah. And let's just always bring them the light. Thank you. Hope you learned something new. Do the Maccabees kill the Hanukkah? Thank you. Do they kill everyone? I'm sure they killed each other. Do they... The sad, sad, sad thing is, is that the Hasmoneans, the Hashmanayim, they were Kaihanim. They weren't really allowed to be kings. They were meant to really stay in their lane, to be, to be Kaihanim. But when they usurped that role and took over that role, they actually became extremely corrupt. Shema, Yehuda died during the battle, and Shema basically took over, and his sons... Again, the corruption prevailed, and it was just really... It was a royal disaster which actually led Herod and led Roman culture to seep in again, which led to the destruction of the second base of Megdash. There were so many fights between the Purushim and the Sudaikim and like Yashka also played a whole part in it and like it was really a second base of Megdash was a disaster. And sorry? No, he is in a hundred sixty years. He's born zero. That's his birthday. Yeah. The Perushim were the ones, the Perushim, okay, so you know the Sadducees and the Pharisees, basically.